Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. And in our latest BossCast episode, we're delighted to be joined by Helen Gordon, who's the Chief Executive at Granger. Helen, thank you for joining us today in the flesh, in person, socially distanced, of course, but none of the uh, none of the horrid Zoom chats that we've had to endure over the last 18 months. But uh, as, a, as an anecdote, I hear, now correct me if this is wrong, but I hear that you were one of Zoom's first customers. Uh, yes, we... Uh because Granger has quite a diverse estate and we've got lots of people spread throughout the uh, throughout the UK, we were a very early adopter of Zoom way before we'd heard of the pandemic. Um, so in January, we committed to put Zoom in all of our offices, in all of our buildings. And that meant that when the pandemic struck, we just didn't miss a beat in terms of uh, using the new t- new technology as it was. Oh, amazing. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, that's, you know, at least you, means you didn't do what every other company in the land did and spend three months teaching the <laughs> workforce how to use it. But that's fascinating. I just, just wish I had invested a, a few quid in it uh, at the start of last year, along with everybody else. But but there you go. Um, but look, I mean, in, in terms of performance um relatively speaking the last 18 months whilst it's not been good for anybody there has been a a clear narrative around resilience in build to rent and residential and and it's to some degree crystallized this story that 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 you and i and and many others have spent the last decade or so trying to tell everybody right is that is that a bit too hyperbolic or is or is there a I think I think you're absolutely right, and I think there was something that people people misunderstand the fact that there's a moratorium on eviction on commercial tenants, but a similar moratorium on residential tenants, and yet the outcomes were very different. And I think the reason behind it was that, you know, in a pandemic we didn't know what it was. Everyone was quite concerned and mm. frightened. The government put the furlough scheme in, and in fact, what happened was people continued to really value their homes. And pay their rents. And, you know, our rent collection uh, was 99%. Um, we did lots of things right at the start of the pandemic. So we worked very closely with government and found out what was available if any of our customers got into distress. Um, we were almost teaching them the sort of thing that might have been available if they'd have had citizens' advice available to yeah. them. And so as a result of that, so that's a combination of our operations. And more fundamentally, the fact that a sector, you know, your home is essential to you. Um, therefore, it stayed it stayed resilient. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of how you're now functioning in 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 the reopening period, because clearly getting people to view properties has obviously been a challenge over the last eighteen months. But you're successfully launching new schemes um, in Southampton and, and other projects in London that have, that have recently completed in, in North East London. Um, what, what, has been, what has been the response you've seen in those markets? So in the first half, we launched two schemes right in the, at the end of March. Um, and actually, we've beaten all records in our Southampton scheme. That's so it's la- launched at the end of March and now fully let. Um, and we'd allowed a year to lease it up. So you can see that it was, it happened in under four months. Um, and similarly, uh, in Manchester, as, um, as we, we launched that in March and April saw the opening up, 
and you know we've done 140 lets in Manchester in, in that Manchester scheme. We literally last month and beginning of this month we literally launched in London, and again the take up is take up is good. I have to say the regions have been particularly resilient. I think parts of London have struggled a little bit, but the pickup now um, in terms of the inquiries, there's almost two and a half times the inquiries that we were having at the beginning of the year, and twice as many lettings. So it's mm. really picked up. And is that what do you think is driving that in terms of the, the, the second point? Is is it the the facilities and the blend of amenities that, that you offer and people recognizing that actually I don't want to be living in a cramped little shared apartment if I can rent from Granger and have all of these other facilities wrapped into my rent? Yeah, so I think part of it, um, a really big part was actually technology at the start of the pandemic. You know, sort of we have um, super fast broadband into each apartment, so not into the building and split. And then we doubled the speed for our customers um, during the pandemic, co-working spaces, gyms, but even things like parcel collection when everyone was ordering online, the fact that, you know, if you're in a normal sort of rented block, you don't, you can have a variety of landlords. Um, but we were, had, you know, extensive cleaning regimes where before those sort of, um, uh, we knew that we were going to get a successful vaccine when people were really frightened. Yeah. It's really reassuring for them to see the sort of level of help and support. And then if anyone was ill, we were doing shopping for people and things like that. And I think that really differentiates between the buy-to-let landlord who may have been absent. Yeah. And do you think the government truly recognises this now? Obviously, through your role as BPF president and Granger's you know, Granger's immense role in the BPF. You know, my my relationship with Granger goes back sixteen years to when when Rupert was in charge. As as, as we know, God rest his soul. Um, great bloke, loved Rupert. It was fantastic, fantastic fun. But but Granger has always been the poster child for a professionalised rental industry, and 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 it's it still doesn't quite seem like the government really gets it when you look at tax and you look at VAT and you look at some of the other odd policies that, that come out. What's your view? What, what do you think they need to better understand? So I think naturally when you um, get a conservative government, you actually get home ownership um, being high on the agenda. But I think what we're seeing with this government is an overall desire to get more housing. And and so as a result of that, um, they are, you know, we're still chipping away at the, build, at the build to rent sector. One thing they have done is that they have legislated um, and put more fiscal changes in for the small buy-to-let landlord that haven't affected us in, in quite the same way. But increasingly, I think they you know we've ha we've had a housing boom during the the pandemic surprisingly i don't think any of us thought that would would but it's have happened been, it has been subsidized by the government hasn't it and it must exactly. frustrate you looking at the share prices of house builders rocketing basically <laughs> fueled by taxpayer funded incentives that that granger isn't getting those incentives 
No, that's that's right, and you know, there's 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 other legislation coming through um, affecting the housing sector that equally won't affect and shouldn't affect Granger's. So I think, yeah, the house builders have have done well, and that's all about trying to stimulate supply. Um, but I think there's going to be a really interesting conversation coming up about where that supply goes, mm. um, and we're seeing that now with the leveling up agenda. And so just before the pandemic um we raised about 180 million to invest in the regions and we deployed it straight away and that was part of the the leveling up agenda hmm. and and those regional and and that regional expansion that that granger has been doing and, and everyone else has kind of caught up now haven't they but not not quite but but you've gone into a lot of places you were the first mover in a, in a lot of places uh in terms of 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 going into to to parts of the regions and and that that obviously was a very smart thing to do and and clearly as you said demand has been spiraling do you think that is simply because there there is such a lack of professionally managed accommodation in places like Southampton and Newcastle and less so Manchester now but certainly yeah. Sheffield and, and other cities yeah and and places like um Sheffield Nottingham Milton Keynes Bristol even you know even even Bristol it was the the underlying market we just got to remember that 97% of our market is still small by to let landlords so when you go into a town people might think it's pioneering to do 250 units in Southampton or whatever but actually all you have to do is attract the people that would normally go into the buy to let sector into a much much better environment and it really is um the scheme there's absolutely beautiful mm. and and how do you see the dynamic shaping up post covid do you buy into this whole everyone moving to the suburbs and you know getting a you know a pony in the garden a chicken coop and uh, and, and and a semi-detached house in the middle of nowhere so i think i think some of that's obviously going to happen and um hybrid working might help but it's not really for the go the cohort that normally rent so the people that normally rent are the people that um you know uh, tend to be the biggest group is in that 24 to 35 mm. age group they want to get all the benefits of the city um they don't necessarily have those responsibilities I mean, Granger does do um, suburban family housing, so we Talks do actually. In the south. Yeah, so we do in high value areas. So we do have some great, um, some great schemes. But and um, do you see that being? I mean, as as other companies have have made forays into single family housing with specific strategies, is that something that you see Granger maybe pursuing with with more of a with more heft? We looked at this um, some time ago, and one of the things that we were working out was the fact that um, that actually the only sensible place to do it was in the higher value areas where the barriers to home ownership were quite high. Because if you're in low value areas, you're always going to have that churn of people that it, it will be cheaper for them to own that house than it will with current interest rates than it will for them to um, rent it. And so you're always going to have churn or you're going to have people that are not able to sort of guarantee their mortgage payments. And so you're probably going to have a higher incidence of bad debts. And so we actually say, yes, we'll do it, but we'll do it in higher value areas. Yeah, yeah. And, and in terms of London, um, 
that's obviously your strategy in London has has largely been been driven by some amazing joint ventures and some partnerships with uh, with the likes of the GLA and, and Transport for London. What 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 have you seen from those relationships over the last couple of years? Because those have really blossomed and matured, and some fantastic examples of how the private sector and the public sector can actually work together in in a way that that generates benefit for everybody. Yeah. And I think I think Granger's a good partner of the public sector. I mean, obviously we're um, listed, we have all the right governance. I think we've got a very strong social agenda. Um, but we're very choosy about partnerships. We don't naturally partner. And, and in fact, we've unwound some partnerships over the last five years where they've been about financial partnerships. Um, and so what where we're really partnering is for access to land. And that's primarily why we've been partnering in London. It's so hard to get the land. So partnering with the GLA on at Pontoon Dock, partnering with TFL, all of those were landowners, London Borough of Lewisham, Kensington and Chelsea, um, Haringey. So we, you know, all of those have been about access to land. And majority of them, not the last one, majority of them have been about income sharing. So actually providing the public sector partner with income. We've got seven ongoing partnerships now, and that includes people like Network Rail, Canal and Rivers Trust, mm. as well as the sort of local authorities. And do you think there's scope for more of those across the country, particularly with the pressures that the likes of TfL are now facing in funding and and some of the challenges that regional cities have in funding their own public transit systems. We've talked as an industry in the past over the years about how we derive value and how we well how we how we essentially scoop off the value from development and use it for other things, right? That's the sort of the principle of of SIL and other things. But it never quite works like that, does it? Yeah, and I think it's. I think the di- the difficulty is who owns the land in the first place, and how you get it into mm. into um, if you like the value directed back into the infrastructure project. And I always think it's quite sad because you know, sort of. Um, People have talked about value capture in relation to new developments through SIL. But the reality is if you get something like Crossrail, it's not actually um, just benefiting immediate developments. It benefits the whole existing… Well, it's anyone within walking distance of the <laughs> of train station, Crossrail right? station, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I mean, it is, it is quite complicated. But um, I do think that… Um, you know, going back to your first question, is it is it applicable throughout the UK? Absolutely. There is something else as well, which I, I don't think a lot of local authorities realise, which is that obviously they know that if they build council housing for rent, right to buy still exists. So you're buying and selling and buying and selling. So mm. your housing stock never really grows. Of course, if you do it through joint venture, you can retain it and retain a revenue stream. And bearing in mind how local authorities have been under pressure, that's that's quite a good way of them making sure, you know, they're very precious about their land holdings. It's not really gone. It's just in a joint venture and it's producing income. And probably our biggest one um, nationally is actually Defence Estates at Aldershot, which is a, yeah. a long-term project. Yes, and and I think it'd be interesting to see as the government starts to consolidate a lot of its offices and other real estate, how that then creates opportunities. Potentially, you know, a lot of these sites that they're that they're moving out of yeah. city centre office sites and, and other 
other facilities like a lot of the, the defense do stuff must surely provide more opportunities for the likes of yourselves yeah and i think there's a really interesting debate at the moment which is um whether or not you repurpose those existing offices and they don't convert a lot of offices don't convert that readily to residential or whether you knock down and and rebuild and and so i think we've got a lot of repurposing of real estate to go on um and mapping your way through that and getting through it quickly is going to be you know uh, quite a quite a challenge for the whole industry yeah yeah but i mean looking ahead in in, in terms of your pipeline you're potentially looking at, at doubling the size of the business over the next five years which yeah. is an astonishing uh an astonishing feet really well we've, um, d- we've doubled it we launched the strategy at the beginning of 2016 and we've doubled it already and we'll double it again and i'm not being sort of complacent about that that's it you know like we'll the keep zoom doubling. share price <laughs> well several times <laughs> maybe <over. laughs> so so we um uh so what know, are we looking at growing. now num- numbers wise then so we've got um sort of 9,000 operational units or operational homes got another 9,000 um, in the pipeline. So about just over 2 billion of PRS. We've got other investments, obviously, in our regulated um, portfolio and then another 2 billion in the in the pipeline. But this is a business now that has been designed to scale up. So we just, each incremental um, scheme that we put on the platform, we can manage more, more efficiently. Yeah, and that's what underpins the dividend growth. Yeah, absolutely. And our dividend policy is that we distribute um, 50% of our net rental income. So uh, each scheme that we put on is, yeah, is accretive for our shareholders. And and do you think, and have the stock market started to really understand that rather than just lump you in with anything else that's got housing on the label? Yeah, do, do they, I, I, some, to- I sometimes feel that, you know, we have to work hard um, at being understood, um, that it's not helped by the fact that we don't have a genuine peer in the listed sector. So people, um, you know, sort of, they try and marry us, as you say, to the nearest, uh, the nearest next, um, uh, you know, next asset class, which is house building, but we're a very different model. Um, because obviously our investments are we take our returns over a much longer period of time. It's much more stable. And as the pandemic's shown, it's sort of much lower risk than some of the other real estate sectors. Yeah. And I think that that will well, certainly borne out by some of the, the data that we've seen. Um, and, and when you look at that, uh, I, I suppose where we are now post-COVID, everyone a little bit more attuned to, to well-being and and social value. How How do you see... Granger's operational platform plugging into that. You talked oh. a little bit earlier about pastoral care for residents yeah. and and that customer support which which you can provide given you know given the platform that you've got. But focusing on social value, for example, which is something that the, the real estate world sometimes overlooks, one yeah. could say. You know, it's, it's easy so, to talk about, you know, EPCs and uh and, and, and sustainability, but but sometimes social value is, is often as important. Yeah, so obviously it's ESG, but everyone likes to talk an awful lot about the E. You, the G is taken for granted when you're in a FTSE 250 with all the governance and things around it. But it's interesting that our S is much stronger than many other property companies. Um, as you say, the social, the social side of that. 
it comes actually from our purpose, um, Granger's purposes, renting homes, enriching lives. And so you therefore start with people who want to put people at the heart and, um, and, and acknowledge that every home's really important. Um, I personally have a feeling that, you know, if your home's not right, if you've got a leaky roof or your boiler's broken or something like that, nothing's right in your life. Um, now that might be a very personal approach and some people might be quite casual about it, but if you feel safe, secure and comfortable in your home, then, uh, you know, anything's possible sort of thing. So, um, Getting that through, um, and, and that is the Granger culture. I and mean, they always say, don't they, that culture beats strategy every day of the week. Yeah. So the culture of actually making sure that you're adding to people's lives by the quality of their environment. And it's why we invest heavily um, in our community engagement plan. So how you build communities, how you create environments where people really want to put down roots. And, you know, harking back to what I was saying earlier about the buy-to-let landlord, Anyone rent, renting in that environment is worried that at any moment in time, if we had, I don't know, a hike in capital gains tax or somebody mm. wants to invest um, in something else, that you might get served notice and you will be, uh, you, you know, you'll be moving. Whereas if you're in a Granger block, you, you will find people working all the time to make sure that you stay with us. Mm. And, and thinking about the wider industry, because... I guess it's easy for you to say that as as the boss of Granger and anyone living in a Granger building will know that to be true. But a lot of people looking more broadly at the property world will say, mm, not quite sure all about Shishisters, don't want to develop them, <laughs> all the usual stuff, right? Yeah. And all the, you know, we've, we've everyone, I remember, I remember sitting in one of the planning meetings, Raypex house with Johnny, uh, must be what, five years ago now? whenever it was going through planning. Yeah. Because um, um, we, we own a buy-to-let around there, funnily enough. Okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so we've kept that buy-to-let in Seven Sisters, mainly because of all the uh, amazing development that Granger's yeah. been bringing to the area to up, uplift all the values. But I do remember sitting in that place uh, and poor Johnny was getting a bit of a booting um, from from some people in the local area. Didn't want it there, as, you, as, as predictably is the case. And I stood up and um, basically gave a bit of a defence of it and... In fairness, actually got a bit of a clap from some people. I was sort of oh. part of the people were kind of about to stone me, but others, uh, and, and I think sometimes th there's a risk that the industry doesn't try and reach some of the people outside the immediate NIMBY community. Yeah, I, I th you're absolutely right. And and also, I think the really poor thing is that when developers go into an area and set, try and sell a vision for the future, and then they develop and, you know, you could accuse the house builders of this, they develop and they move on. And they're not there for the long term. Now, the real difference with Granger is that we're going to be there and not just their investing, but their operating. Um, and so, you know, we've done quite a bit of work on how we retain that community engagement, whether that's, you know, sort of an engagement with local schools right at the start when we're designing the project, right the way through to the fact that hopefully one day, you know, sort of some of those young people that, because projects in London take so long, mm. are looking for their first home you know, they already have an affinity with Apex House. So, um, and Apex Gardens as it's, as, as it's now, it's now called at Seven Sisters. So I think there's, um, it is misunderstood. I don't think the industry helps. And, um, we, 
What could it do better? Well, I think it's when I took over. We have, these, we have sort of these research reports that come out every couple of years saying, oh, the reputation's been. But yes. what actually needs to change, Helen? I think I think more people doing good stuff. And so you just started by asking me about the social side. Um, there is some fantastic stuff um, going on around the real estate industry in terms of how um, and um, how well they invest, how well they care for communities, um, the sort of things that they're doing. It's a very, as you know, through land aid and things like that, it's a very um, philanthropic organize, organizations that make up the majority of the, by value of the real estate industry. Mm. But actually um, what sells newspapers, as you will know better than me, is stories about bad landlords and people being treated treated badly. And unfortunately, um, that's an overwhelming view that's probably been around for, for, you know, for decades that we're trying to sort of swim against reputationally. Um, but I think it's more people getting that really, you know, really great experience. The other, the other thing is, um, when I was, um, coming up to the presidency of the BPF, I worked with the two previous, um, uh, two presidents before me and we were working on redefining real estate. And I think we were doing a really, good job in actually moving the perceptions of the real estate industry forward and then COVID hit and actually we got quite diverted as an industry. It's just all out war with with occupiers and the commercial side now isn't it? Well I I don't I I don't think it is actually I think there's a there's a lot of good work going on between the two because it's in nobody's interest to have an empty um, say shop or office because you then take an uh, or indeed house um, because you take a lot of the additional costs back in that you were not um, expecting. So I so I don't think it is all out war, but I do think that the industry has been quite badly treated in terms of it's one of the few industries where the government have parked the subsidy on the landlords as opposed to um as opposed to actually look at it in a more holistic way yeah and i think that's fair and and what when you look around you at at, at the boardroom table at the bpf and across the industry um and particularly now after all of the uh then all of the the unfortunate fallout from uh you know from the world cup final uh european cup final and and that focus again on diversity across britain and and particularly in in real estate um it's important not to conflate things here but um but but nevertheless there is that that need isn't there for this sector to be more integrated into communities to be better represented and and just to have more of a more of a genuine relationship with certain areas of society yeah and i think that um you know i can talk about the things that that grange is doing i mean we have diversity and inclusion as a really important part of our business the um you know it's something that the board look at we regularly review it all of the staff talk about it on my all staff calls that happen once a month we have a team selected or self-selected actually from across the business that are looking at all forms of diversity and education i think people are really 
you know, understanding that and uh, uh, getting training and, and development to help those that don't understand it to get more attuned to it. And then we're doing things like, for example, on our recruitment, making sure that we have diverse shortlists for our graduates, etc. We have apprenticeships, and that's a really good way of making sure you're not you know, just pulling in from the universities that have already had a form of self-selection because, you know, what attracts you to this industry. And then, um, and then more recently, we're doing the um, Worshipful Company of Surveyors um, bursary scheme, which is where you sponsor uh, students from an underprivileged background. Yeah, that's through... fantastic. And we've been supporting those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, a, it's a lovely project, isn't it? And, 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 you know, I hope that more people in the industry will, will take that on. But it's something that really excited, you know, when opportunities to do things like that come up. It's not an opportunity that I take. It's something that I ask the business about and they just all got behind that one. And it's, mm. uh, um, uh, uh, we know that what we have to build is a, an organization that reflects the community that we serve. And, you know, that might be different from a firm of agents because they are serving a property industry that almost looks a little bit like them. What we have to do is say, actually, we are a property company with a very strong operational bias. We have to reflect the people that we serve in terms of mm. our of our customers and our residents. And so also we one ha- whose heritage is in the northeast of England. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, um, but but what what would your advice be for for younger folk, for for females looking at coming into what's still a very blokey industry, for people that aren't coming from traditional academic backgrounds who might think, I'd like to like to do that job one day. What what anybody listening to this or, or reading uh, the articles around it, what 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 things should they be doing? So I think I think the the main thing is um, you know probably one of the most successful. Uh, females in our in our industry it was actually the the woman that I credit with a lot of the growth of Savills, you know, was Victorian and started um, in a sort of fairly junior role in an office and worked her way up. And I think today with apprenticeships, that is still, um, I think it's still possible. But my my guidance to I often say to people is, um, you know, don't be shy, volunteer for opportunities and do things and get involved and don't pigeons pigeonhole yourself too soon. And you know, if you you look at my career, I've you know done management, development, corporate institutional investment banking and what's been Granger. what's been the most challenging so last crisis you were at rbs so i went in after the crisis oh, okay. but yes it was in crisis mode thereafter so you sort and of you, um, cleaning it up so i was i was part of the team trying to get it sort of uh you know back back on back on its feet um and that was really interesting because that was you know it was 38 billion of distressed real estate all over the world so it was a, f- a fascinating role um the Life Fund at Legal in General, which was the sort of one of, I think it was the biggest fund at the time in, uh, not not just in Legal in General, but generally, uh, with a very big um, development portfolio was really interesting, but probably the most um, 
challenging for me personally was that I I went into rail track to when it was privatized to to actually develop out because I was my background was as a um, managing director of development business to develop out its its um, real estate and we just got going and we set it up as a separate um, business and then of course the the government uh renationalized <laughs> it effectively but we were stranded because we weren't actually it was it was um under railway administration and we were not in distress you know we had sites we had money we had mm. developments underway and so that was quite fascinating because i went from being part of a very big corporate to all of a sudden sitting in regis offices and running a development company with you know, sort of um, a group, a group of people, which was absolutely, um, absolutely fascinating. It was because of that that we did actually um, eventually um, get a settlement with government, and the rail track shareholders got their got their um, money back. <laughs> but that was, was that probably at the time when you think you're working for a big infrastructure business, and then you're sitting on the Saturday evening. It was actually with my father-in-law, and he said, "They say that rail track's just gone bust." And I was thinking it was sort of what's wrong with him you know and re- and next thing my phone was ringing and it was the administrators so it was <laughs> strange well um yeah hopefully yeah well that's that's uh yeah luckily distant memories and what, what what does the future hold for you what, what would you like to do next if we can talk about so that? so i mean f- for me i've always had um i mean there's a lot to do at, at granger but i've always found it interested to do other things so i do a, a non-exec role for derwent which is lovely because that gives me my connection back to, you know, 35 years doing commercial property and then five years doing residential, if you like. Um, uh, and obviously I've been doing the work with, uh, with the BPF, with government. I'm really interested in, in what's happening in, um, Homes England, for example, about how we do solve, um, solve the housing crisis. But for Granger, um, you know, we're re- really, we've, we set out the strategy. I don't think anyone thought we would actually, um, go ahead and deliver on it as quickly as we have. And I think then this next stage is really exciting because it's an acceleration through that strategy. Um, so I think it's, you know, this business is even more exciting than when I when I joined it. Excellent. Well, yeah, putting the putting the pedal down. Well, look, thank you so much for for taking the time to to join Propcast this afternoon, Helen. Lovely to see you as always. Good to see you. Um, and um, absolutely, absolutely, we must catch up catch up very soon. But but thank you so much for making the time. Um, thank you to everybody for listening for continuing to subscribe, which you can do on Apple on Spotify. And obviously, you can keep checking propertyweek.com. And upcoming on Propcast, we will have bosses of Argent, bosses of Soho Estates, bosses of Great Portland Estates. Um, and hopefully, Helen Gordon will have a few more female bosses in the future as well, if, uh, if, if, some, of these, uh, if some of these things come to pass. I hope you do. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, look, thank you so much, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks. Thanks.